Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to John 13 tonight. 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. And I uh, want to challenge you on something that you've heard, you've been challenged on, you've heard before. I'll put it that way. And I want to hopefully show you the importance of it. And sometimes you ever hear the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt? That works that way with the truth a lot of times. We get used to hearing it and we got it all down, but the problem is you can know it and not be living it. And I want to challenge you tonight about your Bible reading. And um, we have a society that's coming at us fast and furious, more so than they ever have before. And you hear a lot of voices throughout the day, and you have a lot more opportunities to uh, go head first down the uh, hole of the internet, if you will, and distract your mind and eat up your time. And uh, you have to, you're going to have to really fight to keep your balance, and you're going to have to fight to, uh, to do the things that God's called you to do. And one of those things is to soak in the Word of God. I heard a great story from uh, missionary Paul Hamilton one time. They were uh, preparing. They had gotten the Bible in the Moldovan language, and they had a big service over there. And, and it was midnight. It was past midnight. They handed out, like, I forget how many hundreds of Bibles to people. They got a free Bible if they came to the service, and some people had been saved. And he said a lady came in after midnight, and uh, she was crying. And they were sweeping up and, and fixing up the auditorium that they'd held this event in. And she came in and she had traveled five hours to get there. And she had half of a flyer and she'd picked it up out of a, a water puddle somewhere because it just said, you know, it had the, the address and the date and it said on their free Bible. And she said, I'm too late, aren't I? I'm, I'm not, I didn't get here in time. And, uh, and she said, uh, he said, no, we've got, we've got another case of Bible. So he brought her a Bible and, uh, she, when she had that Bible in her hands, he said that she took it and she began to kiss it and to, and to squeeze it up to her chest. And she started crying and she said, I have prayed for 20 years for a copy of the word of God. And, uh, you know, we have them everywhere and we've got them. I'm glad to have them, but boy, I tell you. Can you imagine what it would be like to try to live your Christian life without the Word of God close by, full of promises, full of instruction, full of light and truth, all of that from the Lord? And we ought, to, we ought not to take for granted what God has blessed us with. So let's go to John chapter 13. You say, well, what, what are you going to find in John 13 about Bible reading? Well, let's read and we'll talk. John chapter 13, if you'd like to stand, you can right here. The first verse, John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And I'm glad that his love stretches out all the way to the end. Amen. <laughs> And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into, after that he poureth water into a basin, 
and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter is a man of extremes. <laughs> He's like the pendulum that swings from over here, swings back to the other side. And uh, it's only the Lord that can help get you balanced. Uh, we were talking today, me and Brother Jim, about believers that we know, your pastor being one of them, who are balanced men who seem to have uh, not to get caught on this side or the other. Amen. And, and that's what I want to be. And right here he says, okay, Lord, uh, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, if you're going to go ahead and wash my feet, then let's just do the let's, I just want a bath. Just give me the whole thing. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed, now watch this, neither not save to wash his feet. What he's saying is he, he that is washed needeth not to wash save his feet. That's what that's saying. I'm adjusting the words a little bit there. In other words, if you're washed, there's a washing he's talking about. If you've been washed that way, you don't have to be washed all over, just your feet. He says, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. He said, what's that talking about? That's talking about that devil that was there in, in the uh, early assembly. Happened to be the treasurer. Now, I'm not saying the treasurer is a devil here. I'm just saying it, it's uh, interesting that uh, this first man, he said, well, how do you know he wasn't a part? Jesus already told you back in chapter 6 that Judas was a devil. Anybody know it? People say, well, you know, Judas was saved and then he lost it. No. How many of you know and he saved devils? He was a devil from the beginning. He was a devil the whole time. He was a hypocrite. Amen. He died and went to his own place. So Jesus does this for him. And, and uh, let me just say a couple of things about foot washing. It's not an ordinance. We know that. It's an example. He goes on to say that later. But you know something? <clears throat> I always liked the books when I was in elementary school that had pictures in them. Now, we love picture books, right? Because there's something about pictures. You can kind of see some things and... And it's fun to look at a picture. And God speaks to us through pictures many times in the Bible. And there is a picture here of something that we need to get a hold of. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then uh, we'll try to preach with his help this evening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for a good day. Lord, I thank you for uh, time spent in the word of God this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the fruitful visit you gave us with our friend over in Laporte. And I do lift him up to you tonight. Pray that you'd give him grace from the other world, him and Miss Robin. Lord, thank you for the good food and fellowship we've enjoyed. Thank you for this good church and this good pastor and who is our friend. And I thank you, Lord. I pray you'd use me to help the, the people tonight. And Lord, uh, help me to say what needs to be said and then sit down. Father, thank you, Lord, for this, this picture. And Lord, I pray that the picture would be clear. And that you'd help us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the close, as you know, of the Lord's ministry. It's right before uh, the, the Lord's, or it's right during the Lord's Supper. He's about to be betrayed and go into to, uh, be a 
tried in Pilate's Hall and all of these things. And this is a great picture. And you say, what's the picture? Well, we're going to look at it. I think it's interesting that this passage is sandwiched between John 12 and John 14. In John 12, you have the great passage about his crucifixion where he says, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. This spake he signifying what death he should die. John 12 is uh, some details about the crucifixion, about the Lord Jesus Christ becoming sin for us on the cross. And then John 14, he gives that classic passage about, let not your heart be troubled. You know, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again. So chapter 13, I went to public school, but I figured it out. 13 goes between 12 and 14. And so in 12, you got the crucifixion. In 14, you've got the second coming. So 13 could hold a picture for this age right now. And it certainly does. And it's a great picture. It's a picture of a, of a daily washing. Now in verse 10, when Peter got excited, he was, at first he was uh, humiliated. He was humbled by the fact that Christ would kneel before him to wash his feet. And he says, hey, you're not going to wash my feet. That's a, it's a humbling thing to have someone to do that. It's a humbling thing to kneel down in front of someone and wash their feet. And, uh, you know, it might be a good idea sometimes for churches. I know it's not an ordinance, but it'd be good to humble everybody to do have a foot washing. And uh, because there's something very humbling for both parties about that. It's an example that Christ is is setting that the, the Lord is the servant and uh, uh, the The servant is not greater than his Lord. That's the example he left for us is to serve one another. But Peter says, hey, if if you're going to wash my feet then, if I can't have part with you, if I can't have fellowship with you, unless you wash my feet, then wash wash my head, my hands, wash me everywhere. And he says, hey, you don't need to be washed everywhere. You've been washed every whit. He says, but save your feet. That's what needs to be washed. What's that's a picture of? Well, can I tell you that there is a one-time washing according to Titus 3, 5? It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Regeneration is the new birth. It's a new line. Listen, we were born in Adam's image. We came into this world. We have a a generation. People talk about checking out their genealogies. Well, when you get born again, you have a new generation behind you. You're regenerated. It's the life of God in the soul of man. It happens one time. You don't keep getting regenerated and then dead and regenerated. No, it's a one-time deal. You must be born again. And that new birth washes you everywhere. It's a blood washing. Amen. We sing the songs. You know, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed? Well, how do you get that washing? It's through the new birth, regeneration. That's a one-time deal. You don't have to repeat that. So how do you know? Because Christ died once, rose from the dead once. He's not going to die again. If he can't do it, amen, it ain't going to get done. But he got it done. You say, well, what is this? Well, this is not what we would call the divine washing. It is a daily washing because it has to do with men's feet. It has to do with men who are clean, yet their feet Needs some attention. It's a daily washing. It's typified. It's a picture of something that washes our feet. Listen, in the Old Testament, 
there in Exodus chapter 30, verses 19 through 21, they were given instruction. The priest was to go in to wash his hands, wash his feet, because they had work to do. Well, in this dispensation, if you will, in the church age, there is no work to be done as far as our salvation goes. But yet we're told to follow him. Well, how do you follow someone? Well, you don't follow them with your hands. You follow them with your feet. Right? It's all about your daily walk. What do you need? Well, if you've been regenerated, you're going to be following him. And according to the Bible, uh, that's if you're following someone, that's done with the feet. And it has to do with your walk. In this world, your walk can get dirty. This world has a way of dirtying the Christian up, if you will. The Bible speaks of washing. It talks about uh, we should walk in newness of life. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let us walk honestly. It talks about walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It says, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles. What's that walking talking about? It's talking about the direction of your life. It's talking about your behavior. It's talking about how you, you follow the Lord in this life. Is everybody with me on this? And so it's not, uh, you don't need your head and your hands washed. You need your feet to be cleansed. And Jesus Christ is about to do that because he wants us to go in the right direction. I remember years ago, me and Brother Jim, before he got married to Miss Rochelle and before I was married to Heather, uh, God had to separate us. And he did so in stages. <laughs> I noticed that. Uh, but originally, when it was just me and uh, him, before each of us had a wife, we roomed together. And I remember one time that we were out on a Saturday morning looking to go out and do some errands. He says, I'm hungry. I could eat breakfast. I said, me too. We were whipping into this parking lot where there was a Kmart and all this, and there was a Burger King. He said, how about we get a breakfast sandwich at Burger King? I said, that sounds great. But you had to get back out on this really busy highway to get back around into the front parking lot of the Burger King. So we're in this other parking lot, and there's a little there's a little slot right there that you could slide into the drive-through. But the problem was, I was aimed in the wrong direction. Jim said, "Just back in, and I'll order for us through the passenger window." And I looked at him, and I said, and I could see in his eyes it was a challenge, and I was up for it. So I threw it in reverse, wound back in there. We pulled. There was nobody else in the drive-through, so Jim ordered our stuff. And I put my hand over the back seat and we backed up to that window. And I remember that lady coming around with the bag to get the money and she's like, whoa! Because we're looking this way, the car's aimed in the wrong direction. But before she came to the window, there was an older lady in a big car and she was going through the drive through the right way. And, and she, and Jim said, hey, if anybody comes, he says, don't smile. Don't act like anything's wrong. He says, just just look at them like they're going the wrong direction and see what happens. And so sure enough, we're sitting there looking out the windshield. I said, oh, oh, look, look, here they come. Well, it happened to be an elderly lady in a car and she comes around there and, uh, and man, the back end of her car lifts up because she's looking forward and there's a car aimed toward her. And and so she's she's thinking, "I, I have come into this. I just ordered, but... I'm going the wrong way somehow. So Brother Jim goes, like, what are you doing? 
And we sat there and I was, I was, we looked at each other shaking our head like, look, can you believe it? You know, something, somebody ought to slapped us really good right there. Because that dear old lady put it in reverse and she backed out of the drive-thru. And you know what the world will do to you? It'll, it'll be aimed in the wrong direction. The world doesn't go for God in the direction of God. It goes against God. And if you're not, amen, getting your feet washed and directed on what way to walk, the world will intimidate you in going the wrong, in backing up and going the wrong direction. Because that lady was right and we were wrong. But we made her feel like you're going in the wrong direction. What she should have done is dropped it into low and rode right up on our bumper and said, I'm calling the police. And then we would have been intimidated into backing out of there and getting out. Amen. And so listen, the world's going to try to get you to go in the wrong direction. And they're going to make you think you've lost your mind. And the only way to keep going in the right direction, the only way to keep walking with God is to know what this book says and believe it by faith and risk your life on what this book tells you. I'm telling you, the world doesn't believe the Bible. Most churches don't believe the Bible. But it's going to give you sense and it's going to give you purpose and it's going to give you direction and it's going to say, walk this way. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And as you go through this life, You're going to need the Lord to help your feet to stay clean. And so look with me, if you will, at something. I want you to notice three things from the passage. Number one, the Bible says in verse 4 and 5 that he, Jesus Christ, riseth from supper. And he laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poureth water into a basin. I don't know if you're catching where we're going with this or not. But the Lord pours water into a basin. It's contained in a, in a bowl, if you will, a basin. And you know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of the inspiration of the Word of God. It was Jesus who poured the water into this, this basin. And can I tell you something? This book is likened to water. You're blood washed one time. You're water washed with the Word daily, or should be. See, what do you mean? Ephesians 5 says... Over there, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, speaking of the church, the people who make up the church, with the washing of the water by the word. Not the washing of regeneration, but the washing of the water by the word. This book is a pure form of water for your feet as you walk through this life to keep those feet clean. And listen, he's got this basin laid out. And it's all there because you know what he desires? It was mentioned, Brother Jim mentioned something that Brother Ron had said about salvation being more than saving you from hell. And it is. That's a wonderful truth. It's more than, amen, taking your sins away. You know what God desires because of salvation? He wanted to fellowship with us. He wants to fellowship with us. You know what? He came looking for Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. Why? Because he wanted to fellowship with Adam. But sin had separated Adam from God. And, and, and the, for the first time, Adam is afraid of God. And he's hiding with his wife over in the bushes. And so you say, what's the point? The point is, when the, the last Adam came, Jesus Christ, and restored what the first Adam lost. God, one of the great New Testament words is reconciliation. In other words, we're brought back into a relationship where you and I, if we're born again, have access to God and are accepted in the beloved, 
and are adopted into the family and he desires to fellowship with us. But we've got to walk uprightly in order to enjoy that fellowship. And you say, well, if I don't walk uprightly, what do I do? You get in the word of God and get your feet clean. And so inspiration has to do with the word of God. It is a cleansing agent. And friend, you're going to need a cleansing agent for your mind. The battle is in the mind. That's where the the main spiritual battle takes place. The Bible said earlier in the chapter, in chapter 13, that Satan, before he entered into the person and into the body of Judas Iscariot, the Bible says that he put it into his heart to betray the Lord. Now think about that. You say, well, preacher, yeah, he can put thoughts into lost men's mind. Okay, what about Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, Peter said, hey, well, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. He said, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie? You read in 2 Timothy 4 that in the last days, it says some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. You, can, you know what heed means? It means you obey it. You can't heed what you haven't heard. And so the devil is all the try, time trying to stuff your mind full of stuff. He's trying to put thoughts in there, and he can, and he does. I can't explain how he does it, but he does do it. Sometimes your thoughts are not your own. So you know what you're going to have to have to keep a clean mind and to keep your mind thinking right? You're going to have to have a daily washing from the basin of the Word of God where there's some pure water that will cleanse your mind. Man, you know, sometimes I hear people say, Brother, all the time I read my Bible, but I just can't retain it all. I just, I just, I can't remember what I read. Well, let me ask you a question. What did you have for lunch last Thursday? You couldn't tell me what you ate for lunch, but you had something. And it sustained you for that day. And you know, it, it, there was a, a story told where a little girl loved her grandfather. He lived there in East Kentucky and he had a big coal basket there on the back porch and it was full of coal dust and he wanted to, he, he had a plan. So he told that granddaughter his, he said, would you take this basket down to the river? They lived there close to the river and she was, uh, he said, go down there and bring granddaddy up a basket full of water. So she went down there with that basket just as fast as her little feet could fly. She's about four or five years old and she got it stepped out there into that river and she put that basket in there and she pulled that basket through and picked it up and man, the water's shooting out. In every direction. And she ran as fast as she could thinking I'll get this basket back to grandpa because he wants a basket full of water. She got up there. The water's all gone. She turns around, runs back down, goes out a little deeper this time. She puts it under the water and drags it through there and pulls a basket full of water out. And as fast as she can run back up the backyard to grandfather, she's getting up there and the water's spewing everywhere. She gets up and she's crying by the third trip. Because she, her little mind can't figure out. Her grandfather wanted a basket full of water. She figured if granddad wants a basket full of water, I ought to be able to get a basket full of water up here. She said, I'm sorry. I can't do what you asked me to do. He said, oh, you've done exactly what I needed you to do. And he looked down in there and that basket was clean. He said, why? Because every time she dipped it down in that water and drug it through there and pulled it up, that basket was had a water filled in there, and it ran right out. But as it ran out, guess what went out with it? All the coal dust. And you know what that book will do for you when you read it? You pour it into your mind. It's like taking a basin of water, pure heavenly water, divine water, and dumping it through your mind to wash out all the lies of the devil, to wash out all the filth of the world, to wash out all the dust that has settled in your mind. 
Some of you got a lot of dust up there. Amen. And you need the washing of the water by the word daily. Inspiration. God gave us a book. Jesus had a basin that he filled with water. And God has given us a book filled with divine water for this daily washing. Now, I'll say this. You need inspiration, but number two, you're going to have to have a time of meditation. Now, that's not a New Age word. Psalm 1 says, you are familiar with it, I'm sure. He says this in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not. See there, the walk. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And when you read that law of the Lord, that's the written Old Testament scriptures. And in his his law doth he meditate day and night. Meditate. In other words, you think. You think on it. You take time out. You know what the Lord had him do? The Lord had him sit down. The only way, listen, there's three things necessary for this foot washing. First of all, there had to be a basin full of water. Well, in the picture, that's talking about your Bible. Secondly, the only way you can wash someone's feet is if they are sitting down. And you know what our society is fighting against us doing? Slowing down, sitting down, and not being distracted. I'm in total agreement with your pastor about the things that are ruining Christianity. For instance, the phone and, and the social media and all the stuff that goes with that little device that you can carry around. You're not going to throw that away. You're not just going to get rid of it. It's almost impossible. What you're going to have to do and it's the same thing Christians have had to do in every age, whatever they were up against, is you're going to have to develop and cultivate a walk with God that will help you to, that will allow you to govern those things that are tripping everybody up. And I'm just here to tell you that the addictive nature of a phone, and it is, it is designed, those app uh, designers purposely study the brain and how it operates And they purposely do certain things and make those things work on those phones to addict you to it. And I'm not just making this up. This You can look and read this stuff. There's all kinds of documentaries about it. It is designed to trap your mind. It is instant pleasure, instant gratification. I'm bored. I'll watch a video. I'm bored. And they've got this now to where it's cutting your attention span down terribly. And that's difficult for someone uh, who's coming to hear a preacher like me. Because I'm not, a, I'm not a TikTok preacher. I will not be done in 17 seconds or even 17 minutes. The landing gear may come down and go up two or three times. But we got a society, it's training society. I focus on a little video, the 30, more than 30 seconds, and I'm going to be, your brain is getting used to that kind of bubble gum. And so what it does is it distracts you. YouTube has a goal. The goal is to keep you watching as long as humanly possible because advertisers will pay us money and a lot of money if they, the more people will sit and watch this and it's designed to keep you locked in. Now I'm not saying that in moderation is bad. I'm saying that what it's doing to you people don't recognize and realize and it's stealing from you. They don't care what your goals are for the day. They could care less about your Bible reading, about your spiritual life, about your church, about serving the Lord. They don't care. They just want to keep you glued. That's all their intention is. Just keep watching. Keep watching another one. Here's, do you like that? Here's more of that. Do you like that? Well, then we got this. 
And the reason they're bombarding your mind like that is because they want to keep you watching. The problem is this. The only way to get your feet washed is you're going to have to sit down. And you're not going to... Distraction is, is the death of spiritual Christianity. And you know something? I'm going to make a suggestion to you. If you're going to read your Bible, when you read your Bible, get that phone away from where you're reading the Bible. Or get you a Scorby app on there and let him read it while you read it. Let him read it out loud on a thing. That way your phone is there, but it's actually helping. In other words, that thing is, you know what will happen? I've done it myself. If it's sitting right there and I'm reading, you just... And it's, yeah, right there, see? It's telling you. Thank you, that timing was perfect. But the, the point is this. It's there to get you distracted and you, it breaks your thought. Meditation is thinking. And thinking on what you've read and soaking in it. They're seated. They're sitting down. Why? That's the only way you're going to get what you need to get out of the Word of God. You know what? You're going to have to make it a priority. An out-of-control, rat-race lifestyle leads to dirty feet. How do you know? The Bible says, He that hasteth with his feet sinneth. Because you say, why? Because it keeps you from prioritizing what matters the most. I read, in the, I read a, a story about a professor in college, and he came in to teach this lesson. And I wish I had the props to do it, but I'll tell it to you, and you can see it in your mind. Had his class in there. He brought a large jar and he set it down and he pulled out three or four large rocks and he put those down in there and they, they, they started at the bottom and they came to the top, but obviously they were odd, odd, odd shape. So, you know, he said, is this full? And they said, well, you can't get any more big rocks in there, but it's not totally full. He said, you're right. So he reaches back and he gets a bag of gravel and he dumps this, this two pound bag of gravel in there and he shakes it. And, and sure enough, the gravel goes down in all the free spaces. And he says, is it full now? And they said, yeah, it's pretty full. He says, no. He reaches, he gets a bag of sand. He pours the sand in there and bumps on the glass. And the sand goes down in between the gravels and begins to fill up all the little crevices. He said, what about now? And they're all nervous to answer. And they said, well, we don't know. It looks like it's full. He said, no. And he grabs a pitcher of water, pours the pitcher of water in there. And man, you see the water going down the side. And pretty soon the water comes up to the very brim. He said, is it full now? They said, it looks like it's full. He goes, now it is full. There's, you cannot get anything else in that jar. But he brings out another jar and he puts the water in. He pours the sand in and the gravel. And he said, is it full? They said, yeah. And he goes, but he goes, I got these rocks in there last time. He said, here's the illustration. Here's the point. If you don't put the big things in first... The little things will not allow room for the big things. But if the big things go in first at the front end, you can put a lot of little things around it and fill up the jar. You can fill up your day. You'll still have room for little things. But if you start with the little things and fill your day with all the little things and the little distractions, the big things will have no place to fit. And I'm just here to tell you, amen, that you're going to need the Word of God every day if you're going to make it. There is no other way. We have to get in that Bible and we have to have an inspired Bible. We got that. We got a basin full of water. But that basin full of water won't do any good until you sit down 
And listen, people aren't sitting down. They're racing around. And here's the danger. As independent Baptists, we hear so much Bible preached. We've seen so many dispensational charts. And we've read all these books about this, that, and the other. And we think we have a better handle on the Word of God than we really do. We get it through second and third hand. And listen, God wants to deal with you daily. And if you're going to keep your feet clean, keep your mind cleansed, you're going to have to have a time of daily foot washing in the Word of God. Does that make sense? You know, the Bible likens man in Job eleven twelve to a wild ass, like a donkey. I read Sam Watkins' book, Company H, and he talked about he was so excited because he found a donkey. And he said he put a rope around his uh, neck, and he was leading that donkey. He was marching with the Confederate Army. And he thought, man, this thing will be my pack mule. I'll put my bags on it. He's going to help me out. I'm a, nobody claimed him. I'll take care of him. So he said they came to a river of water. He said, men, we're going across, you know, and he said they're holding their bags up. And he thought, man, this is going to be cake. Got my bags over the back of this donkey. And he said he started into that river, and he said that donkey stopped. And he said he pulled on him, and he said he pulled back. And he said, I got angry. And he began to fight with that donkey. And he said, I was dragging him, trying to get him. He goes, he would not step the first step into that water. And he even got a, 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 got a, a stump that was like a, a club and clubbed that thing. And finally got so frustrated, he just left him on the other side of the river and went on. And you know something? That's a lot like stubborn Christians. They don't want to get into the water of the word. Too busy. Amen. There's just something about it. But I tell you what, I, I love getting clean. I don't know about you. And I love my mind being clean. Now here's the thing. You gotta have inspiration. You gotta have a bowl, a basin of water. We've got it. You gotta have meditation. You can't have that unless you sit down. Everybody was seated because Christ got down and washed their feet. But that even meditation and inspiration, that's not far enough. You gotta have a third thing. You gotta have application. Now look at it. Look at verse five. After that he poureth water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now look at it. And to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. You say, what's that? God has to have the opportunity to make the application. Now Jesus was there to apply the water and, and wipe it off of their feet. He has sent in his place in this age the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what he desperately wants to do? He wants to take the water of the word and make application to your feet. And it's him that will apply it in the place that it needs to be applied. Application. He began to wash the disciples' feet and he personally was wiping it off. The scripture says, wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Well, you know something, how can you heed something that you don't know? And when you spend time in the word of God every day, the spirit of God will make, he'll make application. O.A.W. Tozer says this. He says, an honest man with an open Bible and a pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. He says, I recommend the self-exam be made on our knees, rising to obey God's commandments as they are revealed to us from the word. There is nothing romantic or colorful about this plain, downright way of dealing with ourselves, but it gets the job done. 
He's talking about just getting on your knees with an open Bible, reading a chapter and saying, God, wash my feet. God, show me. Apply these verses to me. I am ready to be cleansed and I'm ready to stand up and walk with you. And if, when he said, if you don't let me wash your feet, remember what Jesus said? You have no part with me? What's he talking about? What's that part mean? It has to do with fellowship. Has to do with fellowship. Luke chapter 10, you know the ladies, Mary and Martha. And I'm not going to harp too hard on Martha. You need, you need the, uh, the perfect woman is the perfect mix of Mary and Martha. They both had qualities. I'm glad Martha wasn't lazy. Martha didn't vote Democrat. Amen. Some of you laughed, some of you didn't. Okay. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Look at this. It says, Now it came to pass as they uh, went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she helped me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary had chosen that good part. What was she doing? She was fellowshipping with the Lord and listening to him. And you know what's amazing? Martha at some point was seated at his feet as well. Do you know how I know that? Because the Bible says when Martha received him, Jesus, into her house, she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet. It tells you that Mary also sat, indicating that Martha was at his feet at one point, but she got distracted, got up and left, got worried about serving, got worried about what she had to do during the day, and came in and rebuked the Lord. Tell my sister to get in here and help me out. I mean, I know you're teaching the Bible and all, but we got work to do. And he said, you know something? Mary chose the good part, sitting sitting at my feet and hearing me expound the word of God. You say, what's the point? I'm talking about daily Bible reading. There's nothing deep here, nothing new. But I tell you what, I guarantee you, most of you are not in your Bible like you should be. Why? Because this world system is designed to suck the life right out of Christians. That way you drag into church and you just go through the routine. But I tell you what, if you'll keep your feet clean, you'll come in here and amen, you'll, have a, you'll get a blessing. John 13, you've got to have application. And you know what that application will do? It'll give you some victory. We're told, listen to this, we're told in Romans chapter 8, maybe one of the greatest verses on what our part is in sanctification. Sanctification is being set apart to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. To become more and more holy, wiser as we go through life. And you know what God has given us? He's given us a Bible. Now listen to these verses. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now it mentions there that we have a responsibility as Christians. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. We've been washed all over by regeneration. But now we have a daily Bath to take with our feet and our walk. All right. Well, the Bible says here that if we're to walk uprightly, that we have a responsibility to mortify the deeds of the body. How? Through the spirit. What's mortify mean? It means to kill. 
People talk about, well, you know, if I believe what you believe, I, uh, I would just, well, you just have a license to sin. You don't have a license to sin. You know what God gave us? A license to kill. How do you like that, Texas? A license to kill. You say, what are we supposed to be killing? We're supposed to be slaying sin. How do we do that? Through the Spirit. How is that done? That doesn't tell me enough. Well, if you're going to kill something, you have to have a weapon. And you know what the Bible says the Spirit gave us as a one weapon? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that book will get your feet clean, and in the process, it'll give you a weapon to slay sin in your life, the deeds of the body. When the devil came and tempted our Lord, you know what Jesus said to him three times? It is written. It is written. It is written. You got to know what's written if you're going to be victorious. You young man, you got a problem with pornography? You got to mortify that or it's going to mortify you. You got to kill that or it's going to kill you. Say, I can't. I've tried, preacher. I just, I'm good for 10 days and then I'm back on it. Well, that's why you're going to have to learn some Bible and you have to pull that Bible and slay it when the temptation comes. Hey, I know the flesh is saying, come on, it ain't going to hurt it. Click on this image. It'll be all right. Remember how it was last time. Just click on it one more time. And you know what you say? You say, no, it is written. It is written. And then you do battle with it right there. You got to learn. You know what? The, the people that I appreciate is the people that know their weapon. Because they're, they're very helpful in a dangerous situation. They can pull that gun. The people I don't want to be around is people who don't know their weapon or how to handle it. You got to learn how to handle that. That's why you got to have meditation. You got to have a daily time of application. And then you'll be ready to pull that sword and through the Spirit mortify, kill the deeds of the body. It is written. It is written. You got to get your mind clean and you got to get your sword sharpened because you're called to use it. Are you prepared to use it? I know you can use it on others. <laughs> How about using it on your weakness? I've got this story here I <clears throat> took down. There's a book. My family's from Gilmer County, West Virginia, and uh, it's pretty rough area over there. And I had a cousin. I read about his name was John Powell. They called him his John William Powell. His, his nickname was Billy Powell. And uh, he was 67 years old in 1938. And I read this story about him in uh, this book. And I made a copy of it because I wanted to read it to you. It says, John was 67 on that November day in 1938 as he walked to the field of his four-year-old 900-pound Jersey Bull. Unexpectedly, this simple act would propel him to national attention and create somewhat of a folk hero. William Powell entered that ordinarily peaceful bull's enclosure, and as he fastened the gate, the bull charged and struck him in the back. The blow knocked him about ten feet face down on the ground. Totally surprised and physically stunned, he turned on his back just as the enraged bull reached him in a second charge, trying to gore him in the chest. Its ten-inch horns allowed... Willie to literally take the bull by the horns and wrap his legs around its thick neck in a scissor-type hold. He managed to get his knife from his pants pocket and opened it using his teeth. Now, I'll stop my reading right there and just say this. The first time I read this to my wife, she said, You know what's great is what you can learn by what's not even stated. I said, What do you mean? She says, Well, we know something about your cousin. She says, he didn't wear skinny pants. 
67-year-old man's got his left arm around the horns of a bull and his legs locked around its neck. He has reached into his pocket and pulled a pocket knife and opened it with his teeth. Say, what's he about to do? He's about to do what you have to do to your flesh. Except God didn't give you a pocket knife. He gave you a two-edged sword. You say, well, how's that a picture of our flesh? In the Old Testament, if a man had an ox, similar animal, he was to keep it in, 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 in its boundaries. If it got out and gored a man, he was responsible for it. That ox was not him, but he owned it. And he was responsible for the damage that it would do. That's a picture of our flesh. Because we are not actually... Listen, we're, we're new creatures in Christ. There's a new man on the inside of this flesh. But we are responsible for what goes on with the flesh. And if it does damage, it's going to cost you. And right here, old cousin Billy has pulled the knife. So what happens? Well, it says here, when the blade entered the bull's throat, its rampage was renewed with savage ferocity. They lunged and tumbled down a steep hillside in their hand-to-horn death struggle. They were found at the foot of the hill, the end of a blood-spattered trail through protruding rocks and shrubbery, the path of their violent death embrace. Completely exhausted, half-conscious, drenched with blood from head to toe, Willie was lying across the bull's body. Miraculously, at age 67, Willie had evaded death or serious injury. Apparently, this was because of his exceptional physical condition, which he credited to a lifetime of hard outside work. You say, what's the point? The point is this. You're going to have to fight like that. That story goes on to talk about it was about a 15-minute deal that he hung on, cutting on that bull's throat. And you know something? You might not get the victory right today. You ought to. But if you don't, fight on another day. Keep fighting. Don't give up. This is a battle. We're in, listen, I understand that the church is like a hospital, but it's also a barracks for soldiers. So attention. And the battle, amen, is out there, but the battle is also right there with you in your flesh. I'm talking about the Bible and what it's there for. It's there to keep your feet clean, keep you thinking clean, thinking, thinking clear, walking in the right direction. And it gives you a sidearm, a two-edged sword to slay the deeds of the body, the flesh. And it can do it. The Bible is just like it. He has said, therefore I will say. He has said, so I can say. He's told me some things, so I can say this. Listen, sin shall not have dominion over you. Don't give in. Don't make peace with your flesh. Declare war. Listen, God didn't give us a license to sin. He gave us a license to kill. And He gave us a sword to do it with. You say, what's the point? The point is you can get clean. That book is crucial. It's crucial. And you need it daily. You don't just... Listen, your general knowledge of it has deceived you. And you think you know it when you really don't. Because you've heard so much of it, you think you know it. You've got to get in it personally, day by day. You've got to sit down and let the Lord take that pure water and apply it to the feet. And wash those feet. And stand up and say, now this is the way. Walk in it. Oh, by the way, here's your weapon. So you can go out and be a sin slayer. I'm telling you, the Bible is important. That's sandwiched between the crucifixion and the return. That's a little picture for us. 
A foot washing, amen, comes in the, the basin of the word of God. And every once in a while, you have to lock horns with your flesh and pull the sword like the Lord did to the adversary. When he quoted it to him, he quoted it back and said, it is written. It's written. There is power, cleansing power in this book. You're washed in the blood once through regeneration. That blood is eternal. But this water right here will wash your feet daily. But you've got to open it up and you've got to be in it. I hope this will help you. Where are you at with your Bible reading? Are you taking it seriously? Was there a time that you read it on a regular basis, but now days go by? This morning I didn't get to it. Well, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll try it tonight. And you doze off after you read about a half of a psalm. Wake up drooling in the middle of the book. You've got to start your day. Remember, the rock's got to go in. The big thing's got to go in first. This is a big thing for a Christian. Daily Bible reading. Say, that's ah, not new. Yeah, but that's where you've got, you got to go back to the fundamentals. If you're going to have revival. Amen. Brother Roger.